talking about forward because I don't know about you, but I want to go forward in my life. Amen? And I believe God wants you to go forward as an individual, and I believe that God wants us to go forward as a church. And so we're in Philippians 2 here. We've been in Philippians 2 uh, every week. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and, and turn there uh, or click there, however you got your Bible. And uh, if not, you'll, you'll see the words on the screen as always. We've been reading this, this passage every week, and the scripture reading that Valentina read goes, goes right along with what I want to share with you about. It's uh, Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. I don't know about you, but every time I read this, I just feel like conviction, right? Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How many of you want to be part of that kind of community? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I feel like I say this every week, but I feel like we could just read that and go home. Like it's so good all by itself. You know, nothing I can say can add to that. And uh, there's, there's these things that we've been talking about every week, that there's these three commitments or three relationships that define the Christian life. That no matter where you're at, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter what you do for a job, no matter what kind of car you drive, there's these three relationships that define the Christian life. And each week we've been focusing on one of these commitments, one of these relationships from Philippians 2. So the first week we talked about the first commitment is to the king. This commitment to Christ the king, that Jesus is the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord, and he's now seated at his Father's right hand in glory. And the gospel is not just this Good Friday, but thank God for Good Friday. The gospel is that Jesus is dead, but also alive forevermore, and now he reigns at his Father's right hand. And now you and I, as followers of Jesus, are invited to submit our whole lives to his lordship. Last week, the second commitment, we talked about a commitment to the community, a community called the church. And we talked about how Jesus is still building his church, that no matter what it looks like, no matter what scandals you see on the news, no matter what's happening in our area or in our world, Jesus is still building his church. And so you can go back and, and listen to those on Facebook or on the podcast, you can find those there. But today I want to talk to you about the third commitment that I believe Paul asks this church in Philippi to make. It's a commitment to reaching the culture. 
That's what I want to talk to you about here, the culture. That this passage is about this, this small group of Jesus followers in the Roman Empire. And Paul tells them that as they live in unity, as they live in community, as they surrender their lives to King Jesus, that the risen Jesus through this family is inviting all of the world to bow the knee, inviting all the world to confess that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus as the risen Lord is putting his world right. He's fixing people one life at a time, one family at a time, one neighborhood at a time. And he invites us to be part of this mission to reach the world. Now, when we talk about mission today, I want you to know I'm not only talking about foreign missions. I'm not talking about going to the mission field. I'm not only talking about people who are called missionaries, that that anybody, Paul says, who is believing in Jesus Christ as Lord is invited to this mission. That means that not only is, is Joe Wesser a missionary to YSU, but you're a missionary to whatever context Jesus has you in. That wherever you go, whatever you do, you are an ambassador of the risen Christ, inviting every knee to bow and inviting every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there's a, a mission that the church is called to be on. A little further down in, in this same, same chapter, verse 15, Paul says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So there's this, there's this sense here from, from Philippians 2 that as a church, we have to kind of, we have to balance a couple different things here. That, that on one hand, you and I, we are separate from the world. That, they're right, that we are blameless, we are pure, and a crooked generation, and a twisted, and a corrupted generation. The church is called to be separate. The church is called to be holy. That there's a separation there. And yet at the same time, as much as we are radically separate from the world, at the same time, we are also, also supposed to be radically committed to the world that we shine like stars in the sky, that, that even though we're distant from the world's ways, we are still passionate about reaching this world for Jesus. And I want to tell you today, the church for too long has been isolated. For too long, we've been hiding inside our four walls. We're not sure what's going on out there. You know, the world's kind of crazy. You don't need me to tell you that. But at least, you know, it's kind of this us for and no more kind of thing that like, well, people are crazy, but don't worry, I'm good. Like, I'm okay. And, there, and again, nobody's going to say that out loud here, but there's this sense that like the world is nuts. We don't know what to do. And the good news is, is that Jesus is building his church. And that because Jesus is Lord, you and I aren't saving anybody. You and I, we, I can't heal anybody. I can't change somebody. I can't do miracles in someone's life. But because Jesus is the risen Lord, then you and I can do mission with confidence. We can do mission with hope. And I want to tell you out there, there's real sin in the world. And sometimes you and I, we're like surprised about that. It's like people are crazy and we don't see it coming. Sinners sin. And I want to tell you this here. People with real sin need real grace. People with real sin need a real Jesus. People with real darkness need the light of the gospel to shine on their hearts. And so you see, because we have a Christ 
who, yes, was crucified, but also was raised and is installed above every name, you and I can do mission with confidence. If for too long we've been hiding away, we'll just kind of hopefully hold on till Jesus comes back. And, you know, even if only five of us are saved, I don't know, what, what are you going to do about that? No, no, there's this sense where God tells Abraham that your descendants will outnumber the, the sand on the seashore, will outnumber the, the stars in the sky. Revelation tells us that the Lamb of God will ransom people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's like the parable of the sower. Some seed falls on rocky ground, on thorny ground, but, the, but, but some seed falls on good soil. And it doesn't just bear a little bit of fruit. It bears 30, 60, and 100 fold. We can do mission with confidence. There's a quote by a missionary to Africa named C.T. Studd. Pretty cool last name, right? That was my nickname in high school, actually. I don't know why you guys are laughing. It's just the truth. All right. All right. C.T. Studd said this. Some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I love this. I love this, this mission, right? That, that if he's like, look, if you guys all want to stay safe, cooped up, hiding behind your church walls from the big bad world, you can do that. But he said, I'm going to be within about three feet of hell and I'm going to be grabbing the lost. I'm going to be reaching the broken. I'm going to be healing the sick. That no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs, there's a sense that we have to tell the world about this good person named Jesus, this good news of the son of God who loved them and gave himself for them. See, if we, if, we, if we love Jesus and we love people, how could we not be on mission? Other, other churches have almost gone in the other direction where there's this sense of like, well, we just have to reach people. So, you know, we don't want the gospel to be too offensive. You know, we don't want to ask too much of people. So we'll just kind of tone things down a little bit. You know, you got to make the gospel convenient. You got to make the gospel relevant. Relevance a, a big word these days. And so for some churches, it's like we're just hiding away and we're holy, but forget everybody else. And for other churches, it's like, well, let's just water this thing down and make this big old wide funnel and, you know, you don't really have to change. And, and here's the thing with that. Telling, telling lost people they get to stay lost is not good news. Telling sinners that they can keep sinning is not good news because sin leads to death. That's like going to a person whose house is on fire and it's like, oh, don't worry, you can stay in there. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. And see, this, this cheap and easy gospel doesn't save anybody. But Jesus saves. You know, what's, you know what's relevant to people who are in bondage? Freedom. You know what's relevant to people who are sick? Healing. You know what's relevant to people who are dying and broken and dead on the inside of their hearts? The risen Jesus who saves and heals and who sets people free. Reinhard Bonnke, some of you guys might have heard of him. He was this evangelist who's originally from Germany. He used to do these huge crusades in Africa, like literally a million people at one time. I don't even know how that's possible. They would gather these huge crowds and he'd preach. He did all kinds of ministry in Europe and America as well. And uh, one time he, he was telling a story. He said uh, some reporter came up to him, and they said, Reinhardt, how do you know your, your gospel is still relevant in the 21st century? And uh, 
you know, Reinhardt, he wasn't one to kind of put up with these types of things. So he said, I don't even understand the question. The reporter tries to explain it. He goes, I don't, I don't understand the question because he says, nobody goes to a water company and says, hey, is your, is your water still relevant in the 21st century? Nobody goes to the, their electrical utility company and says, hey, is your electricity still relevant in 2023? And here's the thing, there, there's this sense of like, it's never been more relevant, that it's impossible for it to be unrelevant because the gospel is living water and you can't live without it. And so there, there's a, a calling for the church to be on mission. Another missionary, Leslie Newbegin, he was a, uh, a missionary, he was from the UK, he went to India as a missionary for 40 years, spent his whole life in India. He comes back to the UK as an old man, thought he was coming home from the mission field, and he realized that the very churches, the very place, the very country that sent him out to India 40 years earlier was in a dark place. And so in his old age, he became a missionary to the Western world, to Europe and to America. And so Leslie Newbegin is fascinating. He was a a missionary, a pastor, a theologian, he, he did so much for the church. And here's what he said. He said, the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is, on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. It's the desire to be with Jesus where he is, on the frontier. This idea that we got to be on the front lines. And, and you see, if you talk to people who are passionate about, about mission, they'll tell you this. It's not, it's not because they're like extroverts and they just love talking to people. It's not because they're like the super spiritual Christians and, and missions is just for like the people who want to be a little extra, right? It's not because they're the people who, well, I just like to travel and I like to go to foreign places. I remember when I, I, I went to El Salvador for one year as a missionary, a, a ton of people said like, wow, you must you must love, like, you must love traveling. You must love, like, being an adventurous person. And it's like, actually, Jesus just called me. And because he, he told me that, that that's where he would be, he told me that's the place where I would meet him. That's why I'm going. And there's this sense that, that being on mission isn't really about, like, if you ask Joe, it's not because he likes penguins. It's not. It's not because, like, his best days were in college and he, like, just can't let it go. That's not what it, that's not what it is at all. That if you ask people who are on mission, it's not because they're this kind of person or that kind of person. It's because they've seen that's where the risen Jesus is. That's where Christ is. And if you love Christ and you love people, it's not about missions. It's about the gospel. It's not about being a missions person. It's about being a Jesus person. And if you're a Jesus person, you want to be where he is, where he is healing the sick, where he is raising the dead, where he is driving out demons that were out there on the front lines, on the frontier, between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. That's what Jesus did in his whole ministry. He's announcing that God's kingdom has come, and he begins driving the darkness out of people's lives. That's what mission is all about. Now, I want to talk to you here for, for a minute about the method. So I've been talking to you about the mission here. I want to tell you about the method by which we will do this mission. And I want to go back to, to verse 6 here of our passage. It says, Who being in very nature God, this is talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, 
by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, those of you who were here a few weeks ago, you heard me talk about this, this V-shaped pattern to the gospel. Anybody remember that? Anybody else remember that? All right, now I feel better. Okay. There's this pattern to the gospel. Jesus is equal with God, but he didn't hold on to it. So he empties himself, he becomes a human, and then he dies, even death on a cross, right? There's this down, down, down. And then it says, therefore God highly exalted him, right? Now, now what I want you to see here is that Jesus is this weird, strange, upside-down kind of Messiah. That he didn't do what anybody expected him to do. He didn't go to the people at the top. He didn't go to the people who were experts. He didn't try to get in, in, you know, in with Pilate and in with Caesar. You know, let's get some political power going here. He didn't ask the Pharisees to be his 12 disciples. He didn't go to the religious experts or the theologians. He didn't try to find people with money. In fact, Jesus went to the people that nobody else wanted. He went to the poor. He went to the sick. He went to the demon-possessed. Anybody want to go to Jesus' church? You're in it, friend. Like, these are, these are Jesus' people. He goes right down to the people at the bottom. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's this weird sense that, like, Jesus is building towards something, but he's, he's kind of going in the wrong direction. Like, he's not... He's not getting the important people to like him. He's getting the important people angry who want to kill him. And so when you read the Gospels, it's weird. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're like building towards this thing. But Jesus is actually going down the more his ministry goes. And it gets to this point where he's at rock bottom on the cross. Then he goes down, down, down until he gives everything away, even his own life. And yet, 2,000 years later... You and I are reading this story about a crucified man, and through the cross, he saved the world. So here's what I want to challenge you with here. The life of the church is modeled on the life of Christ. That the way that you and I will gain victory is the same way that Jesus gained victory. You see, so it's it's opposite from what you and I would normally think of. That you and I, we think, oh, we got to do it big right? We got to do it better. We got to put on a bunch of big stuff. We got to get a big stage and we got to get some cool marketing. And we got to have the coolest building, right? That we got to, we got to get in favor with all these right people. And if only we had a lot of money and if only we had this president and if only we had all these great other people behind us, we could maybe turn this thing around. And Jesus, he didn't need any of it. He, he was literally homeless. One guy said, Hey, I want to follow you. He's like, the son of man has no place to lay his head. It's like, actually, I'm homeless, so you want to come? He had to be supported by some, some wealthier women who were part of the ministry. They, 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 he had to live off donation. He didn't have any political power. Here's a crazy idea. Jesus turned the world upside down with zero political power. He was actually killed by the political powers of his day. Didn't need it. Now, again, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Just that maybe it's not as important for building God's kingdom as we thought. That Jesus, he goes down and down and down, and he, instead of being like the rest of us, 
who try to go up, 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 and, and we try to force change from the top down, and we try to be cool and powerful and smart and everything else. Jesus just gives everything away until he's got nothing left. That he, he gives and he serves because there's, there's a better power than money. There's a better power than fame. There's a better power than influence. And you know what that power is? It's the power of sacrificial love. It's that self-giving, humble, serving kind of love which turned the world upside down. It's crazy. Imagine, imagine being these Philippians. You live in the Roman Empire. You got Caesar down the road in Rome. You have all these great philosophers in Athens not too far away. You have military generals. And then some, some Jewish guy named Paul shows up. He starts telling you that, that a random Jewish guy who was crucified is now Lord of the world. Who's going to believe that? The benefit is you and I have 2,000 years of, of church history to look back on. They didn't have that. They just had to go off the news that this, this crucified guy was actually Lord of the world. And you see here, it's this crazy idea that, that Jesus had a different kind of power. He had an upside-down kind of power. And yet 2,000 years later, guess who we're worshiping? Guess who we're praising? It's not Caesar. It's not the generals and the philosophers. It's a crucified man. It's a guy who gave his life. When you read the, the book of Revelation, anybody like Revelation out there? The whole, I hear a couple of people clearing their throats. They're getting nervous, all right? The whole book of Revelation is about how the Lamb of God conquers the dragon of this world. If you read Revelation, Jesus appears, letters to seven churches, and then there's this beautiful scene in heaven, the throne room of God angels bowing down, the elders, like we sang about, all this stuff. And it says there was a scroll. The scroll is, is God's plan to remake the world. And it says there was no one that could open the scroll except one. And John turns and he sees a slain lamb. And the unbelievable thing is the slain lamb, he takes the scroll, and the whole book of Revelation is about how the lamb unfolds God's plan and conquers all of the sin and the evil and the beast and even the dragon of this world. Now think about that for a minute. Lambs don't kill dragons. Like it doesn't work. I'm not an expert on animals or mythical animals. It just doesn't seem to check out. Except Revelation tells us it actually does. That this is actually how the world works. That it's, it's the Lamb of God. It's the humility of God. It's the, the going down of God. It's the, the serving. It's the loving. It's the giving that turned the world upside down until the day when the Lamb of God conquers everything on this world that is outside of his plan. So, so what does this have to do with the, the mission that I'm talking to you about? What does this mean for us? Here's what it means. The problem is in the American church, we want to out-dragon the dragon. We want to get more power than the dragon. We want to get more money than the dragon. If we could be bigger, if we could be better, this is right. This is what America is all about, right? Do it bigger, do it better. 
show up, be loud, be obnoxious, get in people's faces, hammer home the truth of the gospel. We come in with our swords, we conquer the enemy. And here's what Jesus does. He comes in as a lamb who just dies. He comes in as a lamb who just, he serves, he lowers himself, he finds the people at the bottom that nobody else wants and he gives and he gives and he gives until he's given everything away, even his own life. And the mystery of God is that the lamb is actually greater than the dragon. And so, so maybe, maybe the way to reach this world is actually not by going up, but by going down. Maybe it's not by trying to be great. Maybe it's by trying to be servants. Maybe it's not because we're going to be smarter or richer, more powerful, more influence, more fame, more whatever. Maybe it's going to be because like the Messiah, we come we come down and we come under people and we, we raise them up. See, the, the leaders of this world, they want to they force change on people from the top down, but not Jesus. Jesus, he comes, he comes under people and he serves and he gives and he loves. And it's that power which has turned the world upside down. Now, I, I need to close here. But I want to tell you this here in closing. That it is... When you think about what saved you, when you think about what, what rescued you, you know, what, you know what saved us? It wasn't God's power. It wasn't God's greatness. It wasn't God's awesomeness. You know what saved us? It was God empty and dead on a cross. Here's what, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It's unbelievable. He says, Jews demand signs. And Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But, but get this right here. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Here it is. There it is right there. The way, that, the way that you and I were saved was not by God's strength, it was by God's weakness. And the crazy thing is, is that God's weakness is stronger than all the world's strength. The Lamb of God, greater than all the dragons of this world. The humility of God, greater than all the pride of this world. He comes and he, he empties himself and he gives and he serves and he loves. And you see, this is, this is the method right here. This is the method that if Jesus changed the world with a cross, guess what? It's not going to be any different for us. The way that the world is changed is not by us stomping around with our swords to conquer. It's by taking up our crosses and dying. That we come in and we die and we give and we serve, and somehow, in the mystery of God, God's weakness is greater than all the power of this world. You can read stories. You know the places around the world right now where the gospel is growing the fastest? It's places like China, or the Middle East, or Africa. I read an article not too long ago. It said the world's fastest growing church right now is in Iran. It's literally illegal. You know what the Christians have there? Nothing. They don't have impressive buildings. They don't have impressive music. 
They don't have polished communicators. You know what they have? They have a cross kind of power. They have a weak kind of power, a power that looks to all the world like foolishness, but it's actually the power of God for salvation. And, and, and I'm not saying like, let's just have a terrible building because we don't need it and who cares about marketing and let's have bad systems. Like we need all that stuff. We can, we can do all that stuff, but, but ultimately what saves is the cross of Christ. It's the humility of Christ. It's the weakness of Christ. One more quote for you here about the early church. If I could find it. Oh, okay. This is a book about the earliest centuries of the church. It's a history book about how a small group of nobodies transformed the Roman Empire. It says in the early church, it was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was Christians who attracted them. Here's what I love about this. You know what turned the world upside down? It wasn't great church services. If good church services could have turned this thing around, we would have done it already. It wasn't their impressive buildings. They had to meet in houses because it wasn't even legal. It wasn't because they had the best music and they had better music than all the Greeks and the Romans. It wasn't because they had these polished communicators who were cool and attractive to the world. You know what was compelling? Christians themselves. The actual people of God, not, not the programs, not the buildings, not the agendas. It was the people. It was actual Christians who said, I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you. Jesus was this kind of crazy Messiah where he didn't need the best. He didn't need the brightest. He told his followers to, to put their swords away, to turn the other cheek, to love their enemies, to forgive those who wronged them. He went to the poor, to the sick, to the unclean. He was a friend of sinners. And it was this upside down kind of power which turned the world upside down. It was this strange backward thing that looked like foolishness to the world that a crucified man was king, that a crucified man was Lord. And yet it's God's weakness which is stronger than human strength. God's foolishness, wiser than all the wisdom of this world. Church, you know what we need to reach the city? We need a cross. And I know that's not like, are you sure we can't just put in a good marketing campaign? Sure we can't just do some renovations for the building and boom, people are going to come. And again, we'll, some of that's fine. But it's the cross that conquers. It's the power of humble, sacrificial, self-giving love that turned the world upside down. It's a different kind of power. And I know to all the world, it looks like, well, we just we need to get the world's kind of power. And Jesus says all that is a, it's a cheap knockoff to the power of the cross. 
See, being on mission, it doesn't have to be this spectacular thing, this impressive thing. Being on mission is the most ordinary thing in the world. Now, don't get me wrong. God will do extraordinary things. He'll do crazy things that will blow your mind. But, but you don't have to go up to somebody and be like, God says, sinner, listen to me right now. Right? Like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be all weird. You don't have to go all King James and thus saith the Lord. You don't have to go around laying hands on people and just starting to yell at them in Walmart. People are yelling enough in Walmart. I'm scared every time I go. I'm a grown man and I am afraid of Walmart. I'm going to say it. Like you don't, you don't have to be this like weird person. Ministry is the most ordinary thing in the world. And, and maybe some of you are like, well, yeah, Joey, it's easy for you to do ministry. You're a pastor, right? And like, I've had other jobs. I still have another job. And there's opportunities to talk to people, to encourage them, to pray with people. Kelly's a, a chiropractor. She's amazing. A lot of you guys go to her. You know what she'll do? She'll be talking to patients. They'll be opening up about their lives. She'll help, you know, adjust them. And sometimes she'll pray with them. And she doesn't have to, like, go into pastor wife mode. She just says, hey, can I pray for you? You see, we, we make mission this, like, super spiritual thing. Or, like, oh, I, I could never do what Joe Wester does. Or I could, I could never do what Joey and Kelly do. And it's like, you just, you just take up your cross. You just take up your cross and die. You take up your cross and you love and you give and you forgive and you serve and you invite people to the table like Jesus did. And you watch, you watch how that upside down power of the cross saves the lost. You watch how the cross becomes the power of God for salvation. 